springtime is in full bloom. Everyone's ready to get back to work, and the kids are ready to get back to play. We're covering that and more this week on Tournament Talk. This is the Tournament Talk Podcast, where your hosts, Tyler Childs and Sean Sinclair, are on a mission to help you make sense of the tournament world, save you time and money by helping you make all the right decisions to streamline and maximize your tournament business, team, club, or lifestyle. Let's get down and start winning at everything. Welcome to another episode of Tournament Talk. It's Tyler Childs of the Tourney Boss here with Sean Sinclair in COVID isolation as per usual the last couple weeks I am bored I am tired of sitting in this chair and I am ready to get back to play more importantly and so that's what we're going to cover today Sean how you doing you guys surviving over there I I know before we jumped on really quickly just for those listening uh Sean's daughter decided that she had to be in the room where he was recording it was hilarious um she hasn't been down here all day needs to come down here right now yeah, and that's how it works, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's literally society yeah. right now. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's true. So we're all we're all in the same boat. But I know, um, you know, with with everything going on, everyone's starting to get a little bit of cabin fever. Even the most patient people are getting cabin fever. People are questioning what their rights are. It's it's getting uglier and it's getting harder to navigate from a political scenario. But that's not our job. We don't care. So yeah, we're, we're just reacting to what <laughs> politics are doing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We wanted to just dive right in. I know the weather's starting to turn and it's making it hard to sit still. So, you know, really we wanted to just chat about how COVID is, is impacting everything as we ramp back up. And it's a very um, unfamiliar scenario, right? Uh, go where no man's gone before kind of scenario. And it's difficult to navigate for everybody. So we thought it would be prudent to dive in today. And, and Sean, I know we, we talked a little bit before we jumped on about different circumstances and, and all of that, but I know your wife obviously operates a cheer gym and it has impacted you know, what they've been doing, but what are you starting to get as a feel for getting back? Is it something that you guys are ready to go or is it something that you're waiting for the green light? What's the general feel that you guys have in your household? I mean, obviously being a, uh, you know, gym owner and, you know, a percentage uh, of our income, we'd love to get back full swing, uh, you know, as soon as possible, but that's obviously not the reality, right? And we want to obviously make sure that it's safe and that it's allowed, first of all, right? I think uh, as of right now, when we're recording this, you know, gyms and indoor sports facilities and all those types of things are not able to operate yet. Uh, so if we, you know, they do open the gym, then there's going to be fines. And then that just doesn't make sense. Right. So uh, I think the, the feeling is, you know, everyone's doing and all the coaches, they're doing what they can. And, you know, everyone's doing the online, the zoom classes and, and it's fun and it's keeping kids somewhat engaged. Right. Some of them, you know, uh, take to it a lot more than others, but, um, you know, as soon as it's possible and then it's safe and the, really the, the families feel comfortable, then, you know, the doors will be open and kind of figure out a plan from there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very difficult to plan. I mean, I'm, I'm as optimistic as it comes in terms of moving through things. Like I, I, I don't believe in the worst case scenario. It's just not, how I live my life. It's a personal, uh, 
outlook. It's something that I feel in my being of how to move through things. I've had things happen in my life that require me to just look at the positive side of things. And as a result of that, in this scenario, as much as there's been death and in very dark circumstances around the virus, I don't look towards the future as a scenario where I'm scared or fearful of anything. And, and that's just, again, a personal opinion. It's not meant to, to question decision makers or anything like that. But I, I just don't believe the right move in my, my personal life is to sit here and do nothing. I think there's going to be far more long-term ramifications that come from all of this that are social or financial or whatever that are were and still are preventable. And, and I just don't think that certain decisions are being made with the grand scheme of the total net of this virus being played out. So for me, if I could decide, I'd be out there tomorrow without a second. Like second, I'd be out there in 20 minutes. Right. I'd have the golf club shined up and I'd be on the golf course. Right. I, I just I'm not from the school of thought that sitting here in my house is the right move because, you know, again, the way I've always lived is guess what? I I put dirt in my mouth when I was a kid because I was always in the in the ball diamond, right? Like it was just naturally on my hands and you know, whatever. I was a kid. I still to this day think if I'm taking, you know, a Tylenol to make a headache go away. I'm just prolonging an inevitable ability for my body to fail, right? So I'd rather it fail now and learn and grow. And I think that's the one thing, you know, and there's, it's not predicated on any fact or anything. This is just one of those personal feelings. Like, I don't believe avoiding things is the way to get past them. I believe very much in the idea of herd immunity and, you know, the, the antibody buildup of, of not avoiding certain experiences. So that's where my, my ideas and thoughts come from on this topic. I, I just think that getting back to real life is the fastest way to move past it. And the thing that I've been watching, and I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, is Sweden. Sweden, for me, is the case study to watch coming out of this. They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing except for, hey, guys, be safe. Mm-hmm. And that was the context of their instruction to their population and yes they've had some cases they're a third of our population but they have just about 80 percent of the cases that that we do and so the the catch there is that in theory that their their spike is quick done gone whereas ours is a longer tail and has a longer lasting effect so it'll be interesting to watch that fallout from that but but for me I would have been back to work weeks ago. I mean, not that I ever take time off, but I would have been back to work a long time ago in, and just that's how I feel. But I certainly don't push that on anybody, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's my opinion that I hold to myself in terms of expectations. I definitely share it. But, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting context because I know, you know, you have two young children and family members and all that in close proximity to you. So you, yeah. you view it a little bit differently. So when it comes to, you know, your family bubble, as as uh, Mr. Ford found out this week, that he needs to keep it to his household bubble. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and so for, for you with, you know, family members in close proximity, how does that impact some of the decisions you guys are making as a, as a family? Yeah, I, I think I'm probably closer, uh, you know, to your side and wanting to be back if I'm looking at it personally and, you know, for my family. 
from what I've read and understand, you know, healthy, younger individuals, kids are very unlikely to be affected by this. And, you know, maybe we've already had it and just don't know, right? We're all okay at home. And so if it was just us, you know, I would be, you know, the same thing, like, hey, let's go, let's, uh, you know, get to the gym right now and we can, you know, start working on routines and all that, right? Uh, for me, the the difference is, you know, my family here in London, I, you know, help out a little bit more um, and you know, we'll, we'll go grocery shopping and do chores around the house, things that, you know, my, my grandparents and my mom, who was, you know, not the epitome of health, uh, no knock on mom there, right? But, you know, everyone has their, you know, health issues. And so her, in her circumstance, and my, you know, grandparents, both 90 plus, are a little bit more susceptible to, you know, um, not just the virus, but having, you know, bigger, you know, uh, fallout from it right? Whether it's death or just, you know, it could be a lot more serious for them, right? Um, so if I'm seeing them on a bi-weekly basis or anything like that, my concern would be that I would want to make sure that, you know, they're back in something normal first, right? We'll, we'll stock them up with some groceries. We'll get all the things around the house done that they, you know, need done, spring cleaning, that type of thing, before I potentially have, you know, m my daughter, at practice and that other kid has it and all of a sudden you know it's in our household but you know the, the incubation's a little bit longer 14 days maybe you know there's uh it's asymptomatic and i just don't even know i have it so i'm okay right i'm a healthy younger you know not getting older but you know young uh male but you know my 95 year old grandpa may not be in that same position to easily fend that off right so and that, that's just what I have to think about is that, you know, what do I want to make sure happens first? And I think if, you know, we talked about this, uh, you know, a week ago, and I think my opinion is even starting to shift now that in our area, there are businesses opening up again. I was at the grocery store on the weekend, and it felt uh, a little bit more relaxed, like things were starting to come back to, to normal, more people were out you know, of all ages. So I, I think it's going to change day to day. And, you know, as the government makes more recommendations on this type of business can open and okay, so now it's a, a family thing. So I can now go and do that, you know, grocery shopping and those chores before, you know, sports are allowed to operate again, so that I can get that out of the way. And then when they are allowed, then we're full swing and full throttle into it. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I think, you know, here in Ontario, at least the government has done a very good job of both shutting the door and opening back up. And I think they've mm -hmm. been a little, I'm reading between the lines here, I feel like they've kind of tried to communicate that they feel a little restricted by what's being decided at the federal level. And you can hear it every now and then in the press releases, like, listen, we're going to do this eventually. And it's it's a very, hey, federal level, time for you to make a move on this. And then, oh, magically, the federal does something just after. So like if you're reading between the lines and you're in the, in Canada, you've probably noticed this trend, like Ontario says something federal does it. So it's almost as if the, the Ontario government is deciding the processes for the country, you know, unofficially or behind the scenes officially, who knows, but yeah. <laughs> it's been interesting to watch the progression of it all. Uh, I think a lot of people in Ontario that maybe were not pro Ford, uh, who is the premier or for Americans listening, the governor essentially of Ontario, um, 
he's won a lot of people over in this scenario because of how he's handled it. He's made it very personal. Uh, he's, he's, you know, rare for a politician to show their inner feelings. Right. And, and, you know, he's definitely done that and not on Twitter, which is important um, because, you know, we, we know another politician that, that does not do that as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's a scenario where, you know, they've navigated it quite well. In my opinion, I don't like, the bodies that are outside of the government. I don't like how they've reacted to it, right? Especially within our industry, you've seen a lot of governing bodies afraid to move through this, right? And as a result, they're sending fear through the pipeline, which in my opinion is, is delaying the recovery process. And sure. what, a lot, what a lot of people don't realize outside of our industry is how important tourism is. It is, it is one-tenth of the global GDP right? It is a 10th of everything. <laughs> like, understand what that means. So by telling people they can't travel or shouldn't travel, the amount of people that are impacted as a trickle down from that is exponential. And, you know, we've mentioned this number before, but I still don't think it's fully set in. People just assume life will go back to normal. Like the travel industry will never be the same, right? Mm -hmm. So there's tons of experiences that you may have paid for in the past and be like, this was a lot of money. Well, guess what? It's going to be more, right? Because now there's going to be precaution. Like there's going to be a lot of things within our space that shift uh, cost-wise. And I, and I don't think the average consumer is quite privy to that yet. And it could go down first and then back up later, but it will eventually, the same way all this government funding, like we're going to pay for it in taxes, whether it's now or later, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's all going to come back around. The same applies for cost uh, ratios within business as well. So you know, that's my big fear is that the general public is not understanding of what this really means for their day-to-day -day life. And, you know, ultimately, I, I wish that we could communicate the impact of tourism a little bit clearer. Uh, and I think it's something that the industry as a whole is getting better at, but I think it's still a little bit too far behind to, to properly communicate what's happening within the industry yet. So uh, I know there's a ton of really good people working night and day to solve for this, but um, that's probably what we wanted to talk about today is how do we start that healing process? So we thought, you know, obviously we wanted to share a couple of our opinions, how we feel about it. Um, the reality is when you're making a decision to get back to play, it impacts more than just you. So if you're an event owner, you have to consider who's allowed to come into your event because, you know, ultimately one of the things we'll cover on is like regional play. Is there a need to bring out a state teams in? Most cases, no, right? There is events out there that, that don't, and you need to look at your events very differently. But, you know, for the most part, there's very little reason to be attracting people from out of state or out of province at this time. So we thought it'd be really good to go through a couple um, tiers of a checklist that we've built to help with this process. So step one, can we get back to play? That's first and foremost, are we allowed? And, and allowed comes from two places. Does our governing body and or our insurance model allow for that first and foremost Two, how do we get back to to play that's the second one so implementing you know policies procedures um you know ramp up models etc cetera, etc cetera. and then the last part is um actually doing it right actually putting things into action when it comes to the people traveling to or from your event or practice or game or whatever so three real tiers that we're going to go through. So let's jump right into the first one. Can we get back to play? And from that, 
the first thing you need to know, are you allowed to do that in your region? That's step one on the checklist. Pretty, uh, pretty black and white. Well, actually, it's probably not black and white. I think there's going to be some gray areas and things that say open up and, you know, that might be open to interpretation and event directors, you know, chomping just to get back and, you know, looks set, I don't know, a gathering at a, at a public space or something that's allowed, but, you know, a formal organized sporting event is not allowed, but they're like, oh, we're just playing at a public park and they're going that way. So, you know, I, I definitely caution anyone kind of looking to operate in that gray area that, you know, what's the potential ramifications of you getting caught or you being wrong? Well, and here's my counter to that a little bit. I mean, I think there's going to be a very difficult uh, enforcement of what you're alluding to. So here's the case. Uh, two things. One, you have two teams that show up at a facility. They want to play. It's public. Um, police show up, hand coaches a fine. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yep. all right. So you're going to find me. There's no longer an emergency level thing in place. You don't have the right to tell me where I can go. It becomes constitutional or, or, you know, legislative at that point. And how do you enforce that first and foremost? The second part is come collect that check. And then I'll, I'll go back to step one here, which is the constitutional component, right? So try, try to collect that money that you just find me. I, I think there's going to be a very difficult enforcement level because at some point, the public outweighs, you know, the government side of things. Obviously, the government has more power. But if everybody eventually bands together, which I think will be the case, and says, okay, stop us, how, how do you possibly police that? You can't. There's not enough resources. And I, and I don't think that um, they want to get in the way, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true for sure. I think where I was looking at it was, a li- I guess, a little bit of a larger scale in terms of, like, let's say a larger tournament. Right. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know how it would be structured and how it would be let back. But if on Friday night, uh, city comes in and shuts you down or, or whatever, you know, here's your tickets and you're not allowed to operate for the rest of the weekend. And now we have all these teams who have you know paid for a weekend. That's just messy. Well, and, and I don't you know disagree, I mean? but yeah. I, I think that actually kind of can add to my point, too, which is if the mass is saying, we want to do this. We want to get back to it. Mm-hmm. How do you possibly stop that? Right? Like, yeah, how, yeah how do you're you... not wrong. Yep. And, and a colleague of ours said this yesterday. If we live in a democratic society, when do we get to vote on this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When do we get to decide what's decided for us? And it's a very interesting topic because it's, it's really very factual, right? Because at some point, like if we all are coming from the school of thought of, we want to get back to things. And there's just this really tiny percentage of people that are like, listen, we need to be safe. And, and they could 100% be right. Mm-hmm. But that is not the point of a democracy, mm-hmm. right? And, and it, right is not democracy. Like, you know, I want, <laughs> yeah. that needs to be very clear, right? Because there's been lots of democracy decisions that have been made very poorly. Um, every time I hear that, I just, all I hear is uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you chose poorly. anyway so you know the reality is i that's a real topic and i know it's popped up um and slowly been also pushed to the back burner uh and i think in canada we're a little bit further behind but i do think you're gonna see a shift towards that uh, what's the right word 
um, rights and freedoms conversation in our country because normally we're a very social country and it's like what's better for everyone is usually what everyone's okay with, right? Mm -hmm. But this situation I think is going to shift us a little bit. And I know a lot of smaller regions of our country are already very conservative. Um, and, and I think this will just shift a little bit more towards the right a little bit. Um, not anything that's, you know, unbalanced by any means, but I, I do think it will change a lot of people's approach to how they, they do these sort of things. So that's, that's a really important part. So know yeah. your region, know your, your legislation which, within your governing body, which is also really important. So if you're a privately run event team, whatever, then you need to operate with some discretion, right? But if you're part of a larger organization, whether it be a national body or a regional one, doesn't matter, you need to follow the policies that they've set into place. So that's the second part, region and governing body. So once you've covered those two things, now it's about your team, right? Does your team, or if you're an event, the teams that are coming to your event, do they even want to, right? And and again, that democratic voting scenario needs to be a, a real topic. So a poll of the consumer is super important, whether it be just 15 parents on a team or there'd be hundreds of parents for a tournament. You need to understand the full demographic and make decisions based off of that. So uh, it's going to vary from sport to sport, right? I mean, I think a lot of the summer sports here are chomping at the bit because their season essentially has been robbed at this point. Yeah, yeah. Right? And as baseball players ourselves, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm dying here. Like, yeah. I picked up a PlayStation 4 just so I could play MLB The Show. <laughs> like, there's no other reason. That's how much I love baseball. Like, I have never liked PlayStation. I don't want to own a PlayStation, but I own a PlayStation now because I miss baseball. <laughs> right? That's awesome. And, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's the world that I live in. I'm so passionate about that sport. And, and I understand where people are coming from. But that said, I, I'm not going to rush out to put other people in harm's way as a result of that. So understanding the group around you, and, and in most cases especially I think in the U S where teams are, are collected a little bit differently. I think you're going to see a lot of like minds together. So you're either going to be for or against, I don't think you're going to see as much split as you will up here where teams are, are created differently. Yeah, uh, yeah. So definitely yeah, really right on that. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think, you know, I, because of, you know, how the organizations are structured and, you know, we follow a coach around and there's multiple different, you know, levels of organizations within a region that you could, you know, theoretically play at, you know, you're more likely to go to a, you know, an organization or play for a coach that you share similar values and the rest of the people, it's just, you know, people congregate together with people that they know, like, and trust. And those people will inevitably be very similar to them as a majority, right? It's not going to be uh, black and white, but yeah, I think you're, you'll definitely see, you know, a full team or 14 out of 15 be totally on board. And then just, you know, 15 out of 15 be like, no way, this is ridiculous. We don't need to play. Well, and it's exactly. And I know you did a great mini series on daddy ball, you know, talking about parents involved and how their opinion impacts the team. And this is another great mm-hmm. component of, of that. So understanding the group, and obviously it's going to include mothers and fathers as well uh, in the conversation here, but you know, ultimately trying to grasp that for your team is going to be a really important thing just from an interest to get back to play first. But then there's the kicker, which is probably the one that will decide more more than the first, in my opinion. And that's the dollars and cents of getting back to play. So, you know, in a, a um, 
club or or team based business where you're running um, a, a facility or or a group of teams that that are either tournament level or or some sort of regional team, there's a cost in, in revenue attached to to that business, right? So the cost of that facility is X, the amount of ROI that those consumers get out of the use of the facility or participation in that team are attached to length of time. And so if you've now crunched that, you have two problems. One, the consumer doesn't want to overpay and B, you have to cover your costs. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) just last week, we talked about this in terms of survival versus profit. And that's going to be a very pressing conversation moving forward is which is more important. And I think many are going to push to profit when they need to push to survival. And that's why we covered that topic last week. But the same applies here. Does your team have dollars and cents to be spending on sport? And, and if so, at what level? And do they have the interest to spend it, right? So all of those things kind of tie together. Uh, and, and really, that's, that's the question. And that's step one of, of can we? Are we even allowed to get back to based on you know external and internal circumstances within our organization? So is there anything else that you want to cover around the dollars and cents? Well, I want to kind of just bring this up. So let's say you know I'm a coach and I ask my team, hey, you guys, you know we'd like to play. Looks like we can maybe play in who knows five out of eight tournaments uh, this year or whatever. It doesn't matter the number. Okay, so now the coach comes up with this is probably what it's going to cost uh, for the rest of the remainder of the season based on the tournaments that have said, hey, we're going to run August, September, October. My question for you, I just want to get your thoughts, is do you go back to that team now and say, what do you think? based on this number or do you say, here's the number let's go. Yeah. I, I think I would pull uh, their interests before I talk dollars and cents. I would keep the two questions separate. No. What so you- what I mean is let's say everyone says people have said, yes, I would like to figure out a way to get back. Right. But what I'm saying is that in addition to that question, I would also ask, do you have the okay. interest in yep. going to yep. events do you have the interest to travel regionally? Do you have an interest to you? So I would tier those that questionnaire in a way that I'm asking those questions as a, as a 1B, C, D, et cetera. Uh, so I, I think that's a relevant way to collect the data because I think you have to you have to understand the give and the take in, around that bullet. And, and ultimately, uh, it's going to vary, right, very much between people. And, and that's where you have to enter the conversation saying, listen, what percentage of the group do we need to green light this, right? So that would additionally be a question. Is it 80-20? Is it 90-10? Is it 100%, right? Like what, are the, what is your team's comfort level with you as a coach or if you're an organization as the, the leader to make that decision? Do, do people have absolute trust that if you're going to do something that it's worthwhile and safe or are they concerned with those two things? And all of that will flush out what you need to do, frankly. So you know, I think that's that's the hardest part is getting that feedback accurately because you know you've all we've all been in this scenario where the coach says to the group of kids, "Hey, what do you guys want to do?" And they look around to see if their friends <laughs> put their hand up, and that same thing will happen in a poll, right? So yeah. if you put that out to the parents, they'll be okay. What would what would John and Linda say uh, if if they were answering this poll with with Johnny and the you know? They're, they're going to think like that. And, and it's unfortunate because, you know, it's not the greatest way to communicate very difficult information. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you have, as a coach, you have to make sure you understand their comfort level with your 
ability to overrule, right? So I think that's really, really important. And I, and I can't stress it enough. I've talked about this many, many times throughout all of our episodes, like having surveys, having these questionnaires ahead of decisions, right? Yes. Not after, not, hey, we're going to do this. Oh, everyone's not happy. What do you guys think? Like, that's the wrong time. Like preparation above all else. And that's this question here. So uh, I think the same applies. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it is, what is the difference between those two things? It's a very important difference. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to, to differentiate. So that's that important thing. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. So we've, co- we've covered, can we get back to play? Now let's talk about how, right? How do we get back to play? First and foremost, before anything else, is we need to set out a timeline. And so that timeline in all likelihood is going to be dictated by, again, regional government uh, associate or national bodies or associations that we're affiliated with. They're going to be kind of set in stone. So I know in speaking with a lot of clubs, there's, a, there's concerns around things like atrophy that have happened while kids and, and athletes have been sitting in their home. It's a very real concern, and, mm-hmm. it, and it absolutely should be covered. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, sports have talked about a six week ramp up. I don't agree with that. That's too short, right? Especially if you're a summer sport that hasn't played at a high level yet, you need probably eight to 10 weeks to get to game form, right? In most cases. And that's, that's long-term athlete stuff, right? Like we're six weeks is pushing it and you're going to see injuries and all those sort of things. So beyond the virus, there's other concerns that have to be a part of this conversation, and I don't think most people think that way, right? So timeline is absolutely crucial. I know in terms of coaching and exercise and all that stuff, this is something you're very familiar with. Well, how yeah, do you feel yeah. about the timeline ramp up? Like what, what is maybe one of those things that the average coach who's not a fitness guru is not going to understand? Yeah, I think it's just the volume that you need to put in to get game ready. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, pitchers report spring training before players. And, you know, there's a reason why there's, you know, very, you know, period, periodized. Anyways, I'm going to move on. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, very like structured um, training plans for, you know, athletes at a high level is they need to be ready for, you know, let's say spring training or mm-hmm. summer camps to let's say get a job. So they need to have that volume in at the start of the season before the season even starts. Right. Well, and, and most people don't, and yeah. And most people don't understand tapering either. Right. Like no, whether no. it be like lifting or, or game ready, like those are different things like tapering competitively towards peak championship season versus tapering your weightlifting to, to be in best performance or, uh, best game shape on day one. Like those are two different things, right? So, you know, I I think you're trying to say periodization was the word I think you were seeking. Maybe that's the word I was trying to manipulate. Anyways, it wasn't working out. It wasn't working out, but that's what I was going for is that like, you know, all these things are set. And if we're looking at a, you know, year over year athlete that there's, you know, you've had your downtime and now we're, we're kind of in that like off season. And then all of a sudden we're going to try and jump into a season. Right. And if we don't have the reps in or, you know, we're trying to get in, let's X number of uh, scrimmages, X number of bullpen sessions or, you know, a volleyball, like just the the sheer number of jumps. I don't know if you've ever tried to go play volleyball on a whim. Uh, I am crushed if I ever do that. Go play beach (laughs) volleyball in a tournament, jump up and down like 400 times in an evening. 
you're messed up for weeks, right? And that's, you know, we're condensing the volume uh, and trying to get, you know, game ready, right? So well, and, it's just again, your body is not going to be able to handle that. Well, and you look at, again, we, we talk about baseball a lot, but it's, it's mm-hmm. especially when you talk about injuries, it is probably the greatest example of, of performance level impacting injuries, right? Like the amount of curveballs and, you know, things that are hard on the elbow, I cannot imagine. I, I would I would love to see this stat. So if there's somebody that's a stat guru out there listening, please uh, watch Tommy John injuries like seven years from now when all of these like 14 and 15 year olds get to pro level ball. Like I, I really want to see that stat. I think there will be a spike. I have no way of proving that unless somebody else does all of that. So someone <laughs> please do that. But like those are the types of patterns. Yes that yes, we're going to yeah. see out of this and, and we're not going to understand the impact for years. And that's the part that's the scariest of all of this is whether it's finance or physical or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like there's a long tail to what we've just been through that is going to send shockwaves for a long time. Yeah. And, and I think the prob- one of the most unfortunate parts is for those kids who are competing for, you know, scholarships and to play at the next level where, you know, maybe it's not this year, but, you know, we're two years out and we're trying to make that higher level team, that showcase team that's, you know, going to assist you. You're going to push and kind of almost, you know, rush back to, you know, be the starter on opening day or make mm-hmm. the the top line on your team. And, you know, like I said, we're condensing that, that volume for this year and we might be okay. Right. And then we get into next year or maybe now the your season's extended and instead of being done in September. Now we're done in late October because we wanted to get some tournaments in this year. And now you're off season shorter and we're back in. And it's just all that stress and the volume where two years, three years down the road, your body just kind of breaks down. Right. Yeah, and, so and maybe I, and you I've, do get that scholarship and then you're done after year one and you can't go anywhere. Yeah, and I've already seen seasons extended. I know some baseball has already announced fall schedules where they mm-hmm. they wouldn't traditionally have run a full fall season. I've already seen it happen. You know, you see a lot of fall ball in the southern U.S., right? That's a normal circuit. It's, it's yes. almost their more important circuit in a lot of markets, but it's definitely going to be a popular thing this fall, and it'll be interesting to see how it impacts the winter sports, right? You know, volleyball. Uh, hockey, basketball to some extent, right? Like mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be some carryover of things. And what what I'm excited for, and I've talked to people about already, is it should allow organizations that have had things like spring tryouts that have impacted uh, or impact decisions for organizations uh, outside of their sport or, or in other areas, right, for the long term. So for example, hockey in, in Canada traditionally runs spring tryouts. That's a pretty regular expectation before they take the ice out, before the summer sports kick up, teams are decided for the fall. Well, guess what? Like that is what stops kids from playing summer sports because they make a high level team. They end up spending the summer training instead of playing multiple sports. All of the best athletes at the pro level played all sports. Yeah, There's very yeah. few high level athletes that didn't play multiple sports. Now let's not say that they didn't focus on one over another, but that's part of the long-term athlete development program is positioning your, your child or athlete to do different things and play different sports. So I, I'm excited about the ability for associations to reset some of those schedules. And, and hockey is going to be the first one because obviously those spring training or tryouts did not happen. So you're definitely going to see them positioned in September or October and everything's going to shift backwards a little bit, which I think is great. 
I really do. Uh, and I, I think it'll be a good reset for that sport because, you know, especially if you compare Canada to the U S right now, Canada's getting their butt kicked by USA hockey, like kudos to everybody in that organization. They've done a phenomenal job over the last 15 years to build that program. And, you know, Canada needs a reset. We were dominant. We were the best for a long time and that's no longer the case. And so we need a reset. And I think this is a good opportunity to do that, but to, to summarize the, the point that we're on, building a timeline. That's the first and, and most important thing that you need to do in terms of how to get your organization back to play. So can you set a timeline? Yes or no. We decided that in step one. Now step two is saying, okay, what's that integration look like? Do we have facilities, right? Do we have access to a privately run building or do we rely on public, you know, parks and rec to get back to play? Because I can tell you right now, most municipalities or communities are going to be slow to get their facilities back online because either they've furloughed or laid off employees um, and they're going to be slow back or they've been told not to touch these things to cut budget and other things along the way. So there's going to be a ramp and and, and kudos to parks and recs departments around the the world that are ahead of this curve and, and hopefully ramping these things up knowing the next three weeks or so are going to be really important for people's peace of mind as the sun comes out and we start to see summer set in here. You're going to have people going stir crazy if you don't let them burn off some of that energy. So uh, any, any comments on time or, or access to facilities? I know you had mentioned before we jumped on some of the processes you, you think would fit for a facility uh, to get back to play. Yeah, I think for, and I'm going to, you know, talk about indoor sports. Um, you know, obviously my wife's gym is all inside. I think the the rollout and getting back to play may be a little bit more tiered than, you know, a, a baseball team, right? Yep. If, if we're allowed to be outside, it's outside. You can social distance and, and that type of thing. There's, it's probably a little bit more, you know, cut and dry. I think, you know, with some of the, the indoor facilities, you may see uh, like a tiered approach where there's only a certain number of people allowed in the building, right? And if there's separate rooms, uh, then, you know, that may alter how many people can be, you know, in each room, or maybe it's a business-wide thing. Obviously, we have no idea yet, um, but it might start out like private lessons and, and one-on-one, right? Or small group training, right? So if we're you know, a, a team of 20, you know, maybe we're splitting up practices and we're doing 10 and 10, right? Right. Offense, defense, or, you know, forwards, guards for basketball, something like that. I mean, a coach can come up with a million different ways on how they want to, you know, structure practices or anything like that to, as we ease back in. But, you know, I think that will be something to consider and maybe even just start penciling in some plans now or what you may potentially run into, whether it's groups under five, groups under 10, groups under 20, something like that. I think there will be like a tier to roll into some of these facilities. And that may be, again, dictated not even by that facility, but it could be, you know, the the government, right? Municipal, uh, you know, state, provincial here, federal, that type of thing. So it's kind of a waiting game, but I think the best coaches are going to be prepared so that once the green light in any form uh, is given, we're ready to go. And you can roll out a plan to your coaches and say, Hey, or sorry, your parents say, here's how we're going to roll run through this. Uh, four o'clock, six o'clock and eight o'clock is our practice times for our team. 
something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Right? And, and definitely we'll cover a little more detail later in the episode here, but you know, I, I totally agree. I think the tiered approach is definitely going to be huge. And, and what I would like to see is, is the facilities taking that approach now in mm-hmm. preparation. Because I think that's the one thing looking back on this whole experience is, is setting expectations, right? So a lot of them have been um, avoided because of uncertainty, right? But if you were to say to people, hey, we're definitely not going to do anything until June, right? But on the backside of that, uh, we might change that. I think people yeah. would have been a lot better with that than we don't know when this is going to end, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that, that statement alone is, is terrifying, right? Nobody likes uncertainty. People would rather you say it's going to be here and we'll move it as we get more information than, hey, we don't know, but it could be X because then the news gets a hold of things and you can't trust them to deliver accurate data anymore. So like, they're like, oh, the world won't be back to normal till 2035. Like, (laughs) come on, like, who's that helping? Right? Like shame on a lot of new, like news outlets that have misreported stuff for clicks, like absolute shame on you if you fall into that category. But um, you know, at the no, end I of heard the day, a, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, there was just a, and I'm not going to say, you know, which uh, call I was on or where I heard this. Cause if, if that group is listening, it's going to be very clear who made the statement, but someone brought up, uh, you know, early on in this, how long this may last. And they referenced, you know, the Spanish flu. And I was like, that's, that's a hundred years ago. Yeah. Things have changed slightly since then, but this person was absolutely convinced that we're two to three years at this at a minimum. Well, and, and there's something to be said about like the virus will have a longer term course, but so yes. did H1N1 and everything else yeah. that we've seen, right? Like these are pandemics for a reason. There's there's mm-hmm. models around these things. And the early data suggested this was outside of that. And and frankly, it still is to some extent. However, the death toll and predictions that were, were suggested, um, I, I think there's a lack of education between what the Spanish flu is or was versus, you know, what the influenza is. And then likewise, what coronavirus is like, all of those things are very different and the models shouldn't be compared to each other. Right. That said, the models of, of this virus that we're dealing with are not that different than things that we've seen. The spread is different and the, the infection is different, but the, the totality of it and the fatality of it are not, that far off of other viruses. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the concern, right? Is that there's just been this, this dilution of data. um, And and maybe even maybe too much data is, is a real thing. So I would, I think I definitely agree too much data, too much news watching and internet comments and, you know, believing Joe Smith from Saskatoon because he knows everything about it. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's just it's just too much going on. Let's we'll focus on other things and we'll let some other people handle all that, right? Yeah, like what I'd really and and this comes down to rights and freedoms too. I, mm-hmm. I would like to see some level of of government control over media around health and safety. Like I, I don't think there should be government mm. control of media as a whole, but when it comes no. to health and safety, like as as a uh, a citizen of any given country. Like you live in that country in most cases. Now this is not overarching uh, by choice. Most cases, right? Okay. There's yeah, obviously yeah. a percentage of the world that has yes, other yes. things influencing <laughs> that. So take that with a grain of salt. But the majority of the developed world can move if they don't agree with the government that's oversight of their jurisdiction. So you know, 
I, I'm from school of thought, like we elect people to run our country, right? Mm-hmm. They should yep. be responsible to do that. And, and frankly, if we live in a society where that doesn't happen, then we need to do something about that. And, and I totally understand that there's scenarios where that's not allowed. And again, please understand that. I understand that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, We're speaking very broadly here. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. at the same time, like these are those situations where I would love to see like that decision be be given to somebody that has more data, right? And and frankly, like as much as regional level government is is there to communicate things and support, like there there's also buttons being pressed by those regional people that are not being helpful mm-hmm. to the the bigger picture. And so all that together, and then he tossed in the media misrepresenting data, like that's where the problems arise. So I, yeah. I would like to see some sort of of functionality around that put into place because I think, I think it's needed with the internet today and the access to data. I think we're moving past the right to, to media or whatever that, that terminology is in, in uh, legislation. Um, I just think it's the biggest issue that we've dealt with. So with all of that, the regional municipalities are also struggling to, to make decisions and that's impacting parks and rec and facilities and timelines. So mm-hmm. what, what I started down and we pulled a huge <laughs> yeah. rabbit hole there, um, you know, what, what we started down is, is as a facility trying to give guidelines. So like, we will not open until this date. If that changes, we will let you know. Right. And then people can plan. We've talked about this in another episode about planning from the back end of this calendar year up until now. And then having switches where you know you can run your business at that point in time. Facilities, cities, et cetera, need to start thinking like that. And so that's where I'm pu- pushing, whether you run a facility or a team, to, to think about how that all impacts that together. So the next part of, of operating an organization is going to be, can we travel? Do we want to travel? And then finally, can people travel to us? So that's a loaded topic, right? <laughs> that one, that one's an episode on its own, but you know, what are your thoughts? Like, you know, tr- getting back to play versus getting back to travel are very different things. So yeah, where do you, where do you yeah. fall on this conversation? Um, I, I think that's going to, as a coach, you're going to f- figure that out just in the same way that we talked about yes or no about playing. We talked about budgets. I think travel should be weeded out at that point as well. And do you feel comfortable staying in a hotel, going to a different city, driving, you know, even like uh, another city, right? So a city an hour and a half, for example, yeah, you're in that driving distance. Some would, would want to stay. My dad would have us up at 4 a.m. to drive to to that city uh, if we were playing, right? But, um, you know, different cities can have different, um, you know, safety protocols or infection rates or anything like that. So I think, you know, you're going to have to kind of pull on what they feel comfortable with and if they feel comfortable leaving their city even, right? Yeah. Um, well, know, that I comes think- back to the poll at the beginning we talked about too, yeah. right? Like, get it, like if you're an event owner, like especially, you mm-hmm. need to pull your consumers and not just your coaches because your yeah. coaches are going to be like, yeah, let's do it. Like they're, we talked about this where you jumped on. Like in most cases, coaches are generally like the type A, they're control freaks. So they want to they want to get back to things because that's what they do and that's what they love and that's what they're passionate about. Same reason I now have a PlayStation. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's exactly the conversation. And so that's why the whole consumer base matters and not just the coaches or, or a potential decision maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly it is, you know, 
the coaches would say yes, but if all of a sudden you have, you know, however you do it, right? If it's a simple, you know, Facebook poll or if it's a, a newsletter based on, you know, your, uh, you know, past attendees or you know, people who have bought something at your tournament and that's how you have names, so whatever, right? If all of a sudden the majority of them are saying, I just don't feel comfortable traveling because maybe I do feel more comfortable as a parent saying that to, you know, Rocky Mountain tournaments, my apologies to Rocky Mountain tournaments, if that's a real thing. But, you know, if, if I feel more comfortable saying like, you know what, I just, I don't think I would come and play rather than that coach who maybe I just don't want to disappoint as a family. I really want my kid to stay in this organization. It's really great, but I don't want to seem like I'm the one who doesn't want to play. Right. So, you know, maybe that's an opportunity for an event owners to make sure that they are getting an accurate, you know, poll or accurate representation of what their potential attendees uh, would do or wouldn't do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and regardless, it's great data to have. Right. Mm-hmm. So if there's ever a circumstance similar in the future, you'll have prep data based off of this experience as well. So, yeah. you know, there's people that are collecting data left, right and center right now to help with these conversations moving forward and kudos to, to that data collection because it certainly will be helpful. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're hundred percent right, which leads us into the next point for how we get back to play. And that's developing policy, right? So developing policy for your event, your organization, or your team, doesn't matter. It's all the same. What, what are the expectations? Do you expect people to come back blindly? Do you expect them to have a slow, you know, crawl back to normal or, or are you expecting, um, you know, a little bit of pushback. And so what happens if and when there's pushback? Uh, what happens when we go back to play? How are you implementing those things? Um, and really, again, we talked about it earlier, preparation over all else. And that's where this comes into. So based on the data and the surveying that you should be doing, what do you do with that after, right? How do you put that into a policy and build towards the future? That's really where it's at. And that's what we need to consider. So uh, putting all that together is very, very interesting. Um, and it's certainly something that, um, you know, we can, we can look towards, but what was there anything that, that jumps out at you in terms of a back to play policy? I know there's organizations out there like connect meetings is running their industry wide, massive conference in August in new Orleans. That is a, a very early back in, in that model. And they've come out and, and said, listen, we believe that our industry needs to get back to real life. We're going to lead. That's what we're here for. We're supposed to be industry leaders. And that's what we're going to do by showcasing the back to say or back to real life safety measures or whatever they called it. Um, mm-hmm. But they're saying like, we can do this, we will do this, and we can do it safely. And so that's the step that they're taking and kudos to them being the first one out. Like, I mean, seriously, yeah, that's yeah. not an easy thing to do. And, and I appreciate the pressure that they're going to be under. I don't necessarily agree with it um, in terms of the industry level people that attend that event. I, I think there's some disconnect there, but kudos to the, the idea because I think it's really, really valid and deserves the merit that they will get for being that first one in. Um, so, so the one last thing that I'll add, you know, things like, contact. So, you know, at the end of um, the season, that was before we were all into emergency, they had already started moving to no handshakes, you know, fist bumps and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's a necessary evil coming back in a policy, right? Like what are the contact policies for the group that is coming in? Um, but beyond that, any other ideas that are top of mind from a policy perspective? You know, I think one that I've seen 
you know, uh, hypothesized a lot is, you know, parents in the facility and whether mm-hmm. they're, you know, allowed to, you know, spectate at what distance or, you know, if it's inside the gymnasium or facility versus the parking lot, that type of thing. Uh, I think that will be interesting for sure. You know, I yeah. think we or may waivers see along that same note. Yep. 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 Um, you know, and it may open up doors for, you know, brand new opportunities. And I believe we've touched on this before, but, you know, if that were something to be, you know, implemented that there may be some streaming opportunities, right. And mm-hmm. then and that's a, a whole new potential re- revenue source that maybe that tournament never really got into, never really had the, the need or, you know, the, that push to do that. But now, you know, if I'm taking my daughter to a, a cheer competition, for example, um, you know, I, I'm going to want to see her, right. I've yeah. traveled two plus hours. I'm here for the weekend and they have, I mean, she's young, like a 90 second routine, you better believe I want to see this, right? This isn't like a two hour baseball game, three hour baseball game. Like I need to see this. So if, you know, if I'm not allowed in, how am I going to see that? Like, what am I, you know, um, you know paying, not what am I paying for? Cause it's, you know, it's about her, but you also have, you know, all these parents and grandparents and things like that who support, you know, their kids. Um, so there just could be new opportunities for, you know, event directors or, know if we're talking connect and maybe there is more of a a streaming option right i think a lot of them have that already but it's potentially expanded to be you know you're there for the networking opportunities but maybe some of those keynotes are you know done virtually or whatever right i'm just you know throwing out some ideas but i think you know it will be interesting and i think the the parents and the attendees or whatever it looks like are going to want to know some more detail before they're like Oh, well, you know, connects opening. I'm in, let's go. Yeah. And I want to know a few more details. I completely agree. And I, and I think there's, there's a, an idea in my head that I've been trying to connect two things for a while that you just answered for me. And I I'll tell you later because it's a bit proprietary, but um, it's a really good concept around the streaming idea. And I think uh, it's really valid. I, I think there's a need for it. Uh, I think there's a, a bit of a disconnect on the digital side at this point, like for the most part, the streaming and mixtape type uh, product is really used almost exclusively for showcasing and, and, you know, recruiting level athletes, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. see a ton of, you know, entry level athletes saying, Hey, here's this sweet video of me using my hockey stick to hold me up while I skate. Right. So yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like there's a major difference between those two things. Uh, and, and I think ultimately it's a, it's a scenario where, um, there's, you're, you're bang on, there's different revenue sources that, that everyone is looking for and at, like, whether it just be, you know, little things like I know, um, people have been running video, like esport tournaments within their, their business and carrying their brand during downtimes. Great ideas, simple, easy to execute. Um, I think there's better ways to execute than, than what I've seen, but at the same time, like, the idea is you're keeping people engaged and active in inside of your event bubble. And that's, that's very, very valid and important. So uh, I've, I've liked what I've seen in terms of innovation during this window. I think there's going to be even more coming out of it. The thing that I'm, I'm a little worried about is the ambulance chasing version of revenue, right? Which is, Hey, there's this low hanging fruit that I'm only going to make money here because people will pay for it. I don't like to see that within youth sport. That's my personal opinion. 
I, I just don't think it's the right place for money grabs. Uh, when you have young families investing in their children and their futures and all that fun stuff, it's not the right place for, hey, your kid needs to be safe by this, you know, athletic suit that makes them safe. Like that's the stuff that's going to happen. And I, and I, mm-hmm. I don't want to see it because it's, it's, I don't love it. It's just me, but um, you know, no, I think if it enhances the overall product or like your event or it adds value and we talk about value, I think every single time here, cool, that's great. And if it's something that hasn't been thought of and, you know, may initially seem like a money grab, but if it were something that, you know, a year from now, it's like, oh, shoot, we should have been using that, doing that. We should have jumped on that earlier. Then I think there's, you know, validity in that for sure. Well, and the thing that I would like to see um, is that the the um, precedent for a new product covers before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID, mm-hmm. right? Like, if yep. it fits those three categories, then I think it's a valid product. What I don't want to see is something that only fits COVID. That's the stuff for that sure. I don't want to yeah, see, right? Sure. Is yeah. is playing off of that fear. It's gonna happen. Like it's it's a foregone, it's already happening, right? Like the mask sales and all that stuff are already a ridiculous thing in themselves. Like, yeah, safety, I get it, but you know, there's definitely profit being made in these scenarios that um, you know, is based off of fear. And I don't like that. Uh that's just the way I feel about the whole experience. So, you know, we've talked about this policy. Now let's talk about implementation. Okay, it's our last step in our three-step check uh, checklist. We went, can we, how can we, and implementation. So in this last step, the first thing that we talked about, we like slow integration, right? So that goes hand in hand with what we talked about in the last section, which is building a timeline. So within that timeline, you're going to set a start point and then an end point of what would be deemed back to normal, okay? So day one, what we talked about, and I think this is a really good thing for everybody to institute, is don't go directly back to practice or gameplay. Go to integrating, especially younger age groups, putting them back in the same room. That's step one, because children under the age of, I don't know, 12, give or take, depending on how mature your child is, <laughs> um, should, don't understand what that means. Right? If, you, if you dump them a nine-year-old in a room with their friends, everything's normal. They're back to real life. Everything's status mm-hmm. quo. They, they don't measure that. And, and some parents will do a better job of educating their children on it. But as a coach, an organization, or an event, you need to think about not every child's going to have that same level of information. So you have to do slow integration, right? So um, maybe as an event owner, bringing everybody into a, an area in smaller groups and saying, listen, here's the separation level. If you're not on the field, this is the expectation that you remain under these contexts, three two, four meters apart, whatever, um, pick feet if you're on the American side. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's what needs to happen, right? Is that first step is, is not rip the Band-Aid off, let's get into the cages and all stand around each other. No, let's, let's get in the same area. Let's talk about how things are going to move forward and progress. And so the second part as an event owner is you could ask your coaches to do that before they attend your event, right? film it, send it to you, tag you. It's a great social media interaction as well. So there's a hundred different ways to make value out of this and, and do that. So that's step one, I think is the meat. And then I think you move towards the practice and you brought up a really good uh, point about practicing and that's split squads, right? So if you're a large team or organization, can you reduce the number of people required to run a practice or, or train? 
And so I know that's going to be a prime example for the, the cheer gym you talked about already, mm-hmm. is splitting those groups into different groups so they can get back to training. Um, team level stuff like baseball obviously is a, everyone on the field at the same time, but there's natural distancing within that sport, right? So, you know, soccer is similar for the most part, basketball to some extent, um, volleyball the same, right? So, so there's things within sport that I think are a little bit different. And I, I love the memes that I've seen, like Costco's allowed and you've got all these people stacked in lines. And then it shows like a golf course with like one person on the green and another person <laughs> yeah. over in the bunker. Right. It's like, that's the reality of sport is there's already distancing built in in most sports. It's, it's what happens on the bench and around the game. That's the concern. So, you know, giving back to play policies and structures is super important. So meet practice and then get back to play. I think that's super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, having that uh you know come from the top down and you know whether it's the event passing it to the teams and teams passing it to the parents and just making sure that like whatever is being passed down and whether the parents agree with it or not i know there's people out there who think this is horribly overblown and nothing to be worried about um but you know if you want to play in this event and you want to be part of the team this is something that they're doing for the group and again, that may not even be that coach's decision. They could be part of that group too. They can think it's super serious or not serious at all. But I think as, you know, someone who's, you know, has 15, 20, if we're talking one team uh, customers for a large organization, you know, we still need to talk about survival, right? And it's not just one year. It's are those families, you know, going to buy in and make sure that they come back year after year and not feel like you put them at risk just to get back and, you know, chase another, uh, you know, tournament win this year. Absolutely. And then, you know, beyond getting back to that practice and that timeline and the financial, you're reducing the volume per week. I know a lot of teams mm-hmm. do anywhere from three to some cases, five or six a week, whether it be training or practice or whatever. Uh, reducing those things early on is going to be super important. There's no need, as we talk about that atrophy component earlier and building back up to the competitive side, right? Like, there's no need to rush this, right? You need to ease back into it and eventually push hard eventually, but Mm -hmm. we're not there yet. And some States are a little further ahead. I know Georgia's leading the charge among with others, but you know, ultimately you have to find that balance. So uh, building it all, splitting your squads, you know, giving uh, give way where possible is super important. And I think the thing that, early on was a really hot button topic and has kind of faded hand sanitizer everywhere. Right. And I think as, as a sport, I talked about it earlier, I, I'm a play in the dirt kind of guy. It's just who I am. I always will be that way. Um, you know, when I go golfing and my hands get dirty for whatever reason, I, I don't wash them before I eat. And, and people are like, Ew, that's disgusting, but I, I don't get sick either. So, you know, there's a balance in my mind of those two. Just going to throw in, wait till that kid comes. Oh, hundred percent. It's different when you have like infant children, 100%. Like it'd be sick you, a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, yeah, no, I, I totally uh, understand what you're saying there. Yeah. But understand your surroundings, right? Like, yeah. you know, it, it, to your point earlier, if I'm around my grandparents, like I'm, I'm not going to be on um, what's the word. Um, I'm going to be responsible for my actions when I'm, I'm impacting other people, but when yes. it's just yes. impacting me, totally I'm different. making yep. Yeah, I'm making decisions that are important around that. So yes, mm-hmm. 100%. But if you as a coach can help mitigate it by simply doing, you know, here's some hand sanitizer every time you come off the field, boom, yeah. done, 
right? That's a really easy way to do it. It's a great way to train kids as well, too, because as a coach, you have a really great opportunity to help coach children under routine because you have the ultimate uh, motivator, which is playing time, right? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? You didn't sanitize your hand. You're on the bench. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, it's really easy to do. Um, It's something that I think, you know, parents and coaches need to align on, but um, ultimately that's super important. And then we talked about the rushing back to play. This is where, for me, this is the most important piece of getting back to things. And yes, it's going to be a slow ramp up on the travel side, but regional play, there's no need for state or national play at this moment in time. It's just not necessary. There's no need to rush. The infrastructure is not there to handle it right now. It will come back. So if you run an event that is based around those two things, around like flights or hotels that require out of state, you need to slow down, okay? You need to look towards the fall or towards the next calendar season. If you run state level or regional events, that's a different conversation. I think there will be a a portion of hotels ready for this and will be prepping their sanitation and cleanliness processes to handle the blowback. Um, That said, probably don't want your kids running around in the hallways. The hotels don't (laughs) want that ever, but at the end of the day, especially now, yeah, they definitely don't want it now. So that'll be the thing that again, coaches have that responsibility to enforce. Parents have a greater responsibility to their children and to the others around them to do the same. So, you know, ultimately that's, that's the piece of the puzzle that I think people are going to rush to though. How do I get my big regional event that I've run for a long time back on the board? And that's the piece of the puzzle that I think there's going to be some misguidance or irresponsible decision-making around because they're big business and there's people that their business is, is in jeopardy if they do not run it. But I'm sorry, there's a bigger model here in play. I want to get back as fast as anybody else. Yeah. Like I said, I don't wash my hands before I eat a burger after playing golf. This, that's not the same thing, right? That's the equivalent of, of my personal bubble right? Whereas this is a bigger infrastructure. So, you know, understanding the two different things, how they integrate is, is really important in how we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm interested to see if there's any shift in, um, you know, tournament structure because of this in terms of reducing the num- number of, you know, let's say teams or people inside a facility, especially with, uh, you know, school potentially being done until September, if there's some you know, tournaments or, you know, things that just aren't happening. Maybe there's some camps and things like that that have just flat out canceled for the summer. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to now extend out a tournament um, and just change up the structure a little bit. Just just wondering if that's going to happen. Well, I think, you know, there was a bit of an underlying trend towards more uh, boutique level events. I think mm-hmm. that was starting to happen. And I think there will be a continued trend because I think, coaches, parents are starting to come to the realization that if I'm going to an event that's, you know, theoretically a showcase event and there's 400 teams, the likelihood of my kid getting exposed to the right person is less. Yeah, sure. There might be an important coach there, but the reality is there to, they might be there to see 20 specific athletes. So if you're athlete 480, they're not going to see you. And, And it's just by chance. So you're starting to see the trends where, you have a team come in that has those players and coaches are asking to play them. Whereas in the past, 
most of the mentality was, how do I get my team to the finals so we can win? Now the realization from educated coaches is, I'm, I want to get them in front of those teams because that's how they get exposed. Because those, there's already people that know about the kid on that team, but they don't know about the kid on my team, right? So that's the trend that is underlying. Yeah. Um, you're going to continue to see that evolve. And, and I would expect parents catch on to that trend eventually as well and stop paying for events that say they're giving something that they're really not. And, and I think we talked about it a little bit that bad business is going to be exposed. And that one element right there, I think is going to be the top of that food chain of terms of what gets devoured by the consumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we, we, this was a very, very detailed and long episode. I, I really want to hear from some people on this one because it's a very hot button topic. It's very polarizing. Uh, and I understand you may not agree with what we've said today, either of us, right? Obviously, we have no, slightly no. different views, but that's the complexity of this situation is that everybody's opinion matters. And whether you're for or against getting back to play or work, we want to hear about it because ultimately, I think sharing your thoughts is helpful. I've learned lots from Sean in the last couple of weeks on this topic. Likewise, I feel like he's probably done the same. And and likewise, I've definitely done that with our customers and others along the way. So please share your thoughts. We want to know what you're thinking. But until then, it's been Sean and Tyler on another episode of Tournament Talk.